Utah Jazz hoping to get better with some moves uh, that could benefit them now, but maybe more so in the future, at least giving them flexibility with future draft picks. But it's not just about the draft picks. It's also about the players arriving now who could potentially be on the roster. We don't know if this team is really done making moves, but we're going to assume for a moment that all these players involved in the Rudy Gobert deal will be Jazz players this next season. And so with that in mind, let's find out about who they are and kind of their path to get here and how they might help Utah. And joining us now on the Full Court Press, Ben Beacon. He's a host of the Locked on T-Wolves podcast. Ben, thanks for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So uh, let's start with probably the more veteran players, and then we'll go down to the younger ones uh, with this deal. Pat Beverly has been around the league for a while, and he's one of those guys that when he's on the opposite team, you just love to hate him. He's yep. a he's a gnat. He's an instigator. But from somebody who is from the perspective when he's on your team, do you feel the same way, or you like rally around him and you love the guy for what he does? Oh, he's a, he's a ton of fun to root for. I, I, that was kind of the first reaction I think for many Timberwolves fans when this trade happened was was uh, oh man, you know. <laughs> On the one hand, right, like the Wolves weren't giving up any of their best four players. But if you talk to anybody around the Wolves, you'd say Patrick Beverly was the heart and soul of this team last year. Obviously, Carlton Towns and Anthony Edwards, Edwards are the best players and uh, and all that. But Patrick Beverly really almost single-handedly in less than a calendar year changed the, the culture in Minnesota. And um, he was somebody who came in from day one and said he couldn't wait to play with Towns. And he played with Carlton Towns. He pumped up Anthony Edwards any chance he got. Um, and obviously the competitive on the court competitiveness on the court speaks for itself. Um, he's obviously a unique personality. I think he's probably putting it lightly, but, um, he, he, everybody loved him. All the players loved him. The coaches loved him. He said he wanted to stay in Minnesota. They signed him to an extension. He was originally supposed to be a free agent this off season, but he signed an extension in like March of last year. So before the season even ended and, and, um, he's, he plays with as much passion as anybody in the league. He is a legitimately great on ball defender. Um, and, and the impact, I think, certainly off the court that he had in the locker room, and also really the on-court mentality. I mean, the Timberwolves haven't had very many guys who will go or you know, bring that kind of nasty attitude to the court and, and not back down. And, and obviously, Pat Bev's had moments in his career that, that you know, some would describe as dirty, and there's things that he's done that he shouldn't have. But he, was a, he didn't have really any of those in Minnesota last year, and he would just do, you know, like he said, he would do, you, you hate to root against him, because he is just kind of an obnoxious, you know, gnat on the court. Um, but he's so much fun to root for. And, and to a player, it seems like the entire Timberwolves roster loved being teammates with him last year. Uh, uh, there was definitely a sense that things were different in Minnesota last year. Uh, with him on that roster, bringing that dog mentality, it did seem like that rubbed off on other players. And I, certainly Utah Jazz could could use some of that, especially if they've struggled with defense on the perimeter. Uh, but what about uh, you know, Malik Beasley? Here's a guy who's been in the league for a little while. He's had his ups and downs uh, off the court, um, but um, he had some great moments this last year, and when he was met with some people this past weekend, putting on a tie, trying to say, I've got a new image, I'm, I'm trying to approach things differently. What's that roller coaster ride been like with Malik Beasley? Yeah, he's by all accounts been a great teammate as well. I mean, you know, different, a little bit in a different way than Patrick Beverly. Certainly he had the legal issues that he ran into, I think it was almost two years ago now, but he dealt with it in terms of off the court, actually did go to prison for a little while last off season and did his time and came out of it. Um, like you said, a completely different attitude, 
Um, and even prior to the issues, uh, he was apparently a good teammate. You know, nobody really had any issues with him going back to his days in Denver, his first year in Minnesota. And the Timberwolves gave him that contract extension after his first dozen or so games in Minnesota. And he averaged uh, actually over his first two seasons, um, you know, with obviously the COVID, short, COVID shortening both of those years and then the off-the-court issues. But he averaged about 20 points a game, 19.9 points a game for the Wolves in almost a season's worth of games. It was like 60-some games. And, I mean, he could really score. Um, and he hasn't had any other, you know, documented issues other than, than obviously the serious ones that happened a couple of years ago and came to camp ready to go last year. He was a little bit out of shape, but I think that was more actually being, you know, in prison versus not wanting to be in shape. Um, and he kind of played his way into shape and had a strong finish to the season. He's a legit 40, 41, 42% three point shooter, uh, really good catch and shoot guy. Fantastic in transition. Um, he needs the ball in his hands to be effective, but he doesn't, it's not like he's a high usage guy, if that makes sense. Like he, he, if he touches the ball, it's going up, but it's going to be a three or it's going to be a dunk in transition. He's athletic. He's a very good shooter, um, but he's not going to dominate the ball in any sense. He's not going to run, pick and roll. He's not going to take the ball out of Donovan Mitchell's hands, but he's a really dynamic kind of like third option uh, in both in transition and in the half court as a shooter. Um, And, and I think he's, he's, um, he's a really good player. I, I mean, he's a rotation guy. He, he struggled a little last year versus two years ago, mostly because his role shifted. He became a bench guy. He never really saw that rhythm. Um, he needs other good players around him, like a Donovan Mitchell or like a D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns to get him involved. And then if he gets into a rhythm, he's really good offensively. Now, I was going to ask you about that. It seemed like his numbers did taper off last year uh, compared mm-hmm. to kind of where he was, what his trajectory was. And, and then uh, just how was he defensively? I think that's always a big question this Jazz roster is trying to figure out is are there other guys who can defend their yard, so to speak, and how was he in that initial point of attack? I will say that was his biggest issue headed into last season, but I will also say he's still a below-average defender. Like I'll, I'll just call it like it is. He's a below-average defender. However, there was obvious improvement last year. Um, even going back two years when Ryan Saunders was still the head coach, they joked about how every time he saw Ryan Saunders in training camp, he'd say, all defense, all defense. Obviously, he's nowhere near all defense, but it was front of mind for him that he knew he needed to improve defensively. The Timberwolves had challenged him to do that. And last year he did. Uh, he, he was much better. He used to be a turnstile defensively, at least put up some resistance. He's got good length, really good athleticism. He's quick laterally. He's still only like, I think he's 26. Um, so he still has some upside defensively. Uh, it's more of an effort thing and then also understanding the scheme he's in. Um, but like I said, he improved drastically last year on that end of the floor. So I still think there's some upside there. But that's his biggest issue is defensive consistency. Um, and also he does a good job of staying within himself offensively. He doesn't. Over, he knows he doesn't put the ball on the floor and score often. He scores as a cutter, he scores as a spot-up shooter, and he scores in transition. So really the only, the only hole in his game in terms of uh, consistency is on the defensive end of the floor. Now, Jared Butler, Jared Butler, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, first part of his career kind of hampered with injuries here and there. We didn't see really his full potential when he's in Denver and, and seemed a little bit slow to get going in Minnesota as well. But this last year, it seemed like he had a really breakout year. Uh, is that kind of indicative who we think he really is or is he this a guy that's maybe injury prone that uh, we have to kind of keep an eye on yeah he didn't really have injury issues last year he had a couple of like nagging injuries that he played through and they tried to limit his minutes middle of the season but that was partly because uh, his role was just to wreak havoc and i would say he's the the combination of what he provides now a little bit of upside the player he is he's the toughest piece for me as somebody who covers the Timberwolves to, to see go uh because 
he still has some upside. He's relatively young. He played just one year and really just like 18 games, I think, at University of Kentucky was a second-round pick. Um, and he he's not going to ever be like a big scorer. But there were, I mean, last year there were legitimate Dennis Rodman comparisons based on the way he plays. Obviously, he's not likely to be a Hall of Famer like Dennis Rodman, but the way that he plays, high steal rate, high block rate, good defensive rebound rate. He, you know, the, the place he's a little bit, he's not quite where Rodman was in terms of, if we're just looking, I mean, if you look at the first three years of Dennis Rodman's career, it's actually not a crazy comparison. If you're just looking at rate based stats and stuff like that, it's, it's not too dissimilar. Vanderbilt isn't quite there in terms of rebounding the ball, but he's a very good defender. He's switchable. He can guard really two through four, um, you know, comfortably three through four and some fives, I guess. Uh, but he's, he's a, you know, high motor guy. His nickname in Minnesota was V8 because he played like the motor never, never stopped. Um, so he, he's, it's going to be tough for the Wolves to be missing him because he was the energy guy who could guard multiple positions, block shots, grab steals. The Wolves played an aggressive roll defense where they were blitzing on the perimeter and Vando was a big reason for that. And he did start to break down a little mid season, but to his credit, he played through it and he still played heavy minutes. He started basically from Thanksgiving on for this team, or maybe even a little earlier, mid November on. Um, and he's, I mean, he started on a playoff team. Um, so he's a really fun rotation role player. Fans are going to love him. High energy plays hard, good in the community. Good guy. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard for Timberwolves fans to see Vanderbilt go. Ben Beacon, host of the uh, Locked on Timberwolves podcast here on the full court press. Now, uh, the younger guys were not quite so sure on, uh, like this, there's the, the hope and, and the potential behind them. But, uh, Leandro Balmaro, here's a guy from Argentina, a uh, young prospect. He's with the Jazz now. We just had a game just over this past weekend in the Summer League. But what was what was kind of the hope and kind of uh, this design that you saw with him, the potential that he might have had for Minnesota? So he's one where his, his path to playing time right now is perimeter defense. Um, he really is kind of a, a an oversized two-guard that isn't a great shooter, if that makes sense. So he's really kind of a secondary playmaker as a wing. Um, his outside shot, they drafted him a couple of years ago in the same draft as Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels. He spent a year in the EuroLeague, improved his shooting percentage. He was close to 40% that year. Um, but it may have been a little bit smoke and mirrors because this last year when he got a crack at the rotation due to COVID and some injuries to the Wolves, he really struggled with his outside shot. Um, but he's a really good passer. He actually won most outstanding player in Europe a couple of years ago, and that wasn't necessarily the MVP award. It really means the most exciting player because he's flashy, great passes, He's a long defender, um, quick enough laterally, I think, to defend at the NBA level, uh, can guard really kind of three positions, one through three, um, and again, good size. So it's really just the shot. And is he athletic enough to be good, you know, get to the paint and be good in the paint? There were some, and this is, I think, maybe just because they're both from Argentina, partially some Manu Ginobili type, like, hey, could his ceiling be like Manu? He's that type of a player, not a great outside shooter, not ultra-athletic, but kind of crafty, very good passer, um, I think he he might he's certainly bigger than Ginobili. I think he might be a better defender pretty early on um, than Ginobili was, and I don't know that the offensive ceiling is there. But it's that type of a player where you know I don't know that he's got superstar ceiling, but I think he's probably got starter level level ceiling, and he could you know depending on which direction the Jazz go in terms of continuing to build out the roster, potentially a mini rebuild, he could be a rotation guy. And again, the way he does that is is by being a good perimeter defender, and I think he can do that. Right now at the NBA level, he saw we saw flashes of that last year with the Wolves. Uh, draft day was kind of screwy for there were a lot of drafts, uh, trades that were going on, players were moving around. But at the end of the day, it looked like Walker Kessler was heading to Minnesota until the Rudy Gobert deal uh, got you know consummated. But 
from the initial reactions from uh, from the Minnesota fan base and you guys as you're following, what was what were your initial thoughts about Walker Kessler as a, as a draftee for the Timberwolves? Yeah, I like him. I, I like him as a prospect. Um, he's one of only a couple of guys since they started tracking block rate uh, back about 25, 30 years ago to have a block rate of over 19% at the NBA level or at the NCAA level, Division One. which uh, for those not familiar, that just means it's the percentage of shots attempted that while he was on the floor that he blocked. So that means nearly one in five shots attempted while he was on the floor from anywhere on the floor was blocked by Walker Kessler, which is insane. Um, that's like basically uh, Matisse Thibel, of course, of the Sixers. And, and you look at uh, um, Willie Cauley-Stein, formerly of Kentucky. Those are guys who are in that same neighborhood. And those are both top-flight NBA defensive-type guys. Maybe Cauley-Stein, not quite as much. But he had a moment where he was. And those, those are rotation NBA players. Kessler is every bit of seven feet. Um, and, and he was a really good pick-and-roll defender. He can play multiple coverages. So he's obviously not going to fill the massive hole left by Rudy Gobert. But he can play... Uh, drop coverage in a similar way as Gobert. Uh, in fact, the Wolves, obviously, when they drafted him, didn't know that they could trade for Rudy Gobert at, at that, or didn't know that they would for sure. And Kessler was kind of the extremely light version of that, right? They were going to try and pair Carl City Towns with a seven footer that could play drop coverage, that could protect the paint, that could rebound. And Kessler, you know, that was the idea is that he could play with Towns. So I think he's going to be really good as a shot blocker at the NBA level. I actually think he'll do okay at avoiding foul trouble. The question is offensively, can he do anything besides rule to the basket? He didn't show, he shot like 20% on jumpers, not just threes, but jumpers total outside the paint last year at Auburn. Um, but going back to high school, the Wolves talked about after they drafted him, he showed some touch in high school. He could shoot threes in high school. So it might just be a function of he wasn't allowed to do much of it at Auburn. And there could be some touch there outside the paint, which means his upside's a lot higher than I think, you know, people maybe gave him credit for coming into the draft. So I like him as an NBA player. I think he's probably more likely long-term, like a like a third big type guy who could play the five. If he does a touch outside the paint, play the four. But um, I think he could step in right away and be an effective NBA big. And I guess my, my final question for you, and I appreciate your time today, but the, the final question, just what's the reaction in Minnesota about Rudy Gobert landing uh, this three-time defensive player of the year, multi-time all-star? What, what's the reaction there on how he might really work with Carl Anthony Towns and that roster? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think initially there was this Timberwolves, you know, fans were kind of like, oh man, we really gave up a lot. This is exciting, but we gave up a lot. And then I think, and I'm speaking now, I guess, for, for the region, right, for the, for the upper Midwest, I think people looked at the national reaction and everybody just kind of trashing the trade for the Wolves and, you know, the, the national folks and, and then kind of circled the wagons and were like, wait a minute, like our team's actually going for it. This is the one time that, a, you know, a Minnesota sports team period really has traded for uh, an all NBA player and all an all-league player, a top-20 player in his sport. Um, and now all of a sudden the national pundits don't like it. And so I think there's now this reaction of like, hey, let's see if they can make this work. Um, now, uh, now for me, if I'm just analyzing it from a basketball perspective, I think it's fascinating. The Wolves are zigging while other teams are zagging. You know, we saw Boston um, not quite to the, to the level of the Wolves, but, you know, they went to the finals with playing a couple of bigs quite frequently. And there were other – I mean, the Warriors did it some, and, and um, the, the Cavs are the obvious – example that, that did it to the extreme and the Pacers have done a lot over the last few years. So, but most teams are not right. Most teams are playing small. So I think Wolves fans in general, fans of the Timberwolves are excited to have another all NBA player. They now have two all NBA players. They have three likely all-stars. Anthony Edwards is, is probably going to make the all-star team this year or the year after plus D'Angelo Russell. So this is one of the top starting lineups in the league. And the question is now depth. And then can go bear stay on the floor as jazz fans know all too well in the playoffs. Um, that is obviously another piece of, of the puzzle, but, um, 
Yeah, generally speaking, Wolves fans are excited. I mean, this is going to be a team that's projected in the top three, four, five teams in the Western Conference. That hasn't been the case since Kevin Garnett was in Minnesota the first time. So uh, 18, 19 years ago was the last time the Wolves will go into the season with this this much in terms of expectation. So by and large, you know, the apprehension is just over the picks given up. But uh, Wolves fans are excited. Well, Ben, I really appreciate the insight and just the, the perspective from watching uh, these uh, Minnesota players that are now going to be Utah players, at least in the short term. Who knows if they're going to stay or not as part of future deals. Sure. But at least knowing who they are and what they could potentially bring to the table, I think helps a lot of us understand uh, how they could integrate into the system and how they might help this team stay competitive. And I think that's a big question right now. Is, is Are they trying to stay competitive or is this a complete mm-hmm. rebuild? And I think this kind of shows the fact that they're still trying to be competitive and these guys could help them do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're all, other than Balmaro, the other three were all rotation guys on a playoff team. So I think, I think that, you know, whether they stay or not, you're either going to get value for them in trades or they're going to be a, a big part of the Jazz this season. Well, Ben, I appreciate your time. Again, if folks want to tune in to the uh, Locked on T-Wolves podcast, and uh, you guys do a great job of, of following uh, what's going on with Minnesota, and those that want to keep an eye on Rudy Gobert, you guys definitely will be uh, breaking that down. So thanks again for your time, and best of luck. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, that's uh, Ben Beacon. And you can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Beacon. That's B-B-E-E-C-K-E-N. And uh, follow everything that's going on with the Timberwolves and how they're reacting to the Rudy Gobert trade moving forward.